Like I was saying before, you know, I'm getting 50 pitches a day. I could spend all eight hours of my working day reading those 50 emails. Um, so that kind of the shorter and more efficient the pitches, the better. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we talk to the entrepreneurs shaping the future of health and discuss the health moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. On this week's episode, we're diving deep under the hood to talk about practical strategies for getting your startup's story out into the world. For those insights, we turned to Megan Hernbroth, the reporter who covers health tech and venture capital for Business Insider. Megan's work has run the gamut from Silicon Valley PR to now writing for a website that gets 375 million unique visitors per month. What you're about to hear is an excerpt from an expert office hour session hosted by Startup Health and attended by a group of founders from the Startup Health portfolio. In addition to my interview with Megan, you'll get to hear directly from founders some of the day-to-day challenges they face in sharing their stories with the world and Megan's sage advice. I hope you enjoy. Megan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So let's start with some numbers, with some basics. Uh, Tell us, uh, how many pitches do you get each week? Oh, man. I mean, I bet my inbox probably rivals that of a a prominent venture capitalist with the number of unsolicited pitches I'm getting. But um, generally, I look, I get between 50 and 100. um, Uh, Per week. So those. Per week, 50 to 100 pitches, um, particularly in your niche. This isn't just like general pitches, like actually in the industry. And how much content uh, are you producing and how much content kind of like, what's that? what does that funnel look like? Yeah, so not many. Not many. The conversion <laughs> rate is, is pretty small. Um, I would say I, I tend to write about a story or two a week. Um, it ranges kind of, um, like I was saying, my goals are based on subscriptions. So it's not as um, closely tied to page views or clicks or anything like that. And those folks write um, at least a story a day, if not two to three stories per day. So I think their conversion rate is much higher. Um, whereas mine is, um, we go for more the quality in-depth reporting over Got the it. quantity. Got it. Why is it, if it's important, why is it important for a company to understand that funnel and kind of how that looks a hundred stories pitched a week versus kind of the two that you're working on? Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting balance. I think um, it kind of brings in that timeliness aspect. If you can prove in your pitch that, you know, what, what you're trying to to talk about um, or your company or your fundraise or whatever it might be is timely. Um, that usually kind of kicks it back up to, to the top of my to-do list um, because I'm working with such high volumes. Um, that list gets pretty daunting pretty quickly. So um, the more kind of uh, relevant and um, interesting the pitch can be, the, the more likely it is to get kind of opened and filed away for something for me to work on um, in the future. Yeah. You mentioned timeliness. You mentioned interesting, relevant. Uh, It kind of makes me think about just like in journalism, studying the basics of newsworthiness, news value. So like, how do you, how do you think about newsworthiness? You know, a a lot of times people think that their story is the most important story in the world. Um, And, and it is uh, sometimes, but like talk us through kind of your process for uh, judging newsworthiness. Yeah, so I work pretty closely with my editor um, to kind of iron out that that process. Um, I think things that are relevant to today um, are always going to do well. So, um, for example, you know, today was the um, Supreme Court hearing on the ACA. I cover healthcare, so I'm just kind of keeping an eye on if there's anything tangentially related, given that it's the news of the day. Um, going into the election, it was similar. We were looking at different outcomes. Um, for digital health, you know, even kind of going as far as to looking at, um, you know, what could a a universal broadband mandate look like? And what does that mean for digital health companies um, that rely on access and stuff like that? Um, So being able to kind of tie into current events, I know those two examples were politics, but hopefully that is less of a news item moving forward. So that would be something more along the lines of, you know, you're looking at 
you know, is, is a new rule coming down? Is there a new, um, you know, is there a new hospital system? Is there a new entrant? Like, is there news on coronavirus? Is there vaccine news? That kind of thing. And being able to tie in whatever you're trying to pitch with something along those lines, because that's more likely to then get looped into a story that's either A, already in the works, or make it um, appealing enough to drop whatever um, I'm currently working on to pick up something else. Interesting. So I'm, I'm hearing a, a, a suggestion here to to read the news, stay yes. very current, um, and and make sure your pitch really ties into something, not just timely, but sort of hyper timely. Like you're probably looking for things that tie into today. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's I've noticed I've been getting a lot of pitches that are kind of two or three days stale recently. Um, and that's, you know, it would have been helpful to have them as it was happening. But of course, it's, you know, I know the kind of iterations that these pitches have to go to, and it's not always uh, the quickest uh, mechanism. So um, sometimes yeah. it, it helps to be kind of the first one in the inbox. Um, if you're kind of the first person that's like, hey, I have an expert that can talk to you about X, that's the person I'll pick up the phone and call. Interesting. So there's sort of an element of trying to read the tea leaves and get ahead of something. Yes. You want to, um, if you can't be first, you know, I mean, kind of precede it a little bit. Uh, Megan, what are some of the current trends? We just talked about newsworthiness in mm-hmm. general, uh, and you just uh, mentioned the the ACA and kind of tying it into to politics, but more in terms of technology, um, trends in healthcare overall, what are you seeing? What's interesting to you right now? Yeah. So there's kind of two big buckets that I'm looking at right now. I think there's this movement towards very hyper-specific care um, in the digital health world. And I think this mass adoption of telemedicine and virtual care has really kind of ushered that in a little bit quicker than it would have otherwise. Um, So now you see folks that are, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, specific healthcare specific to the LGBT community. You have women's health, which has kind of been a rising tide the last couple of years, um, along with fertility treatment for for all parents and um, specific conditions and just kind of a way to kind of really, um, you know, um, break out these different groups in terms of providing the best healthcare um, for that, what those groups needs are. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm paying attention to that and kind of seeing how that evolves um, over the next six to 12 months um, mm-hmm. in terms of both virtual care, but also um, in primary care and in physical locations and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, the other big one that I'm looking at is um, groups that rely on, or companies that rely on gig workers. So I'm thinking like, um, like the Papas of the world, um, BetterHelp kind of these, these tech platforms, kind of, I don't want to say like the Uber of, but the, this reliance on um, gig workers to kind of fill the gaps where maybe traditional healthcare has, has lagged behind um, and looking at what that means. um, Interesting. Um, I guess the corollary to that is, are there some themes that um, you kind of quickly pass on? Uh, that if you if a, an entrepreneur found themselves within that, they might want to kind of reframe. Um, I think the biggest were I no longer take pitches about wellness. We'll call it that, and um, kind of at home connected fitness. Those stories have kind of been told in the first few months of the pandemic. Okay. Um, just kind of you know tips for meditation and and supplements and stuff that's not necessarily um, science backed Mm -hmm. um, is something that I'm I'm starting to stray away from um, in terms of, you know, I've I've seen a lot. I've also gotten so many pitches about um, like CBD and supplements and like that. And we have a a fantastic team at Business Insider that covers cannabis specifically. Um, So that is not my, that's not my realm. That brings up a great point of knowing who you're pitching to. Mm-hmm. So um, how important is it for the person trying to get their story out there to read your work, to kind of know you, what you cover, your beat, what you've written in the past? Um, how valuable is that? And I guess the, the follow-up there is, you know, thoughts on strategies for going a layer deeper, like getting to know, like, okay, who is the right reporter for this? 
Yeah. So I think it's very important. Um, at least on my team, we do kind of knowledge share among the team. So say if something's not necessarily a great fit for me, um, I'll pass it to other folks on my team, seeing if anyone else is interested. Um, but if it's something where it's totally not a, like if I've gotten a lot of AI pitches recently where it's like, that's not even close to my, <laughs> to my expertise. Um, so that would be something where I wouldn't even know who to, to send it to within business insider. Um, Cause we're, we're a pretty big team. Um, so knowing who you're pitching is, is very, very helpful. Um, and very, it increases your odds um, yeah. essentially of, of getting it um, through kind of to the finish line and published. So, okay. You talk, we've talked about timeliness, how critical that is uh, knowing your uh, knowing the reporter that you're, you're pitching into, what do they cover? What have they already recently covered? Um, kind of knowing some of those macro trends, kind of what's, what's hot, what's not at the moment. Uh, what else goes into a successful pitch? Yeah, I think making sure um, all your information is easily available. Um, so kind of answering that who, what, where, when, why group of questions kind of right up front um, is very helpful. So like I was saying before, you know, I'm getting 50 pitches a day. I could spend all eight hours of my working day reading those 50 emails. Um, so that kind of the shorter and more efficient the pitches, the better. Um, it's more likely to get opened. Um, and, um, you know, considered more so than if I have to read a full, a full novel, um, but making sure, you know, you have a spokesperson available, um, whether that's a CEO, a founder, an investor, some other stakeholder, um, is always great. Like we very rarely take statements that are pre-written, um, in email or something like that. If it's like, Hey, you know, if you were watching the ACA coverage today, here's our statement, um, kind of thing. We don't usually, we don't tend to cover those um, because it's assumed that you've sent that to many reporters. Um, so it does us know, like we don't kind of get ahead of anything by publishing something like that. Got it. Uh, well, that, you bring up an interesting point there, your emphasis on getting ahead of a story on some level of exclusivity. When you're sending out a press release, uh, you're trying to cast a pretty wide net. And so you're not really thinking about exclusivity and the power of that. So maybe you could speak to that for a minute and kind of how should a founder think through that? Yeah. So for Business Insider, I would say we almost always ask for an exclusive, um, which mm. means in, in a true exclusive um, in that, you know, the news is not shared with anyone else ahead of time. Um, I have had some instances where folks are like, well, you have exclusive access to this specific data point or this specific spokesperson. Um, that does not an exclusive make, um, unfortunately. Um, so it, it's, it's full access to whatever the news is, um, as kind of the only, the only news outlet. Um, I've also had instances where folks are like, oh, well, you're the business exclusive. And we gave TechCrunch the tech exclusive. Um, we, I, as a back, as someone with a background in PR, I have done that. Um, so it makes sense. <laughs> Um, when you're in the trenches and you're like, yeah, of course. Um, but as now on the reporter side, um, there's more overlap than you'd think. Um, yeah. So it's kind of harder to break it out that way. Yeah. You're like, I see you. I see what you're yeah. doing there. I speak <laughs> your language. Uh, uh, Sarah, you posted a question here about editorial calendars. Uh, do you want to ask that? Yeah, it was actually related earlier when we were talking about you know, just what you're looking for. Um, I know that, and you know this, the long lead publications tend to put out, you know, their editorial calendars far in advance so you can take a look and pitch. Um, and then I see a lot of reporters that are on short, you know, lead schedules on Twitter or LinkedIn, and they're kind of putting out like, hey, I'm looking for an expert here. Do you do that? And if so, what channels should our health tram transformers be following? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we do not do editorial cal calendars, unfortunately. Um, I find that fewer and fewer publications do them recently, or if they do do them, they're they're vague and not as helpful as you would hope that they would be. Um, but um, I tend to put call outs on Twitter is kind of my main um, megaphone, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> but that's kind of, that's my main way of, of reaching out to folks. 
Um, I will look to LinkedIn every once in a while, but I would say my, my main um, source is, is definitely Twitter. Um, and usually I'd like to give myself at least a week lead time. So if I'm asking for, um, you know, commentary for an article or, or looking for something, odds are the deadline is a week from then. Um, so being able to be available and make yourself available is always uh, very much appreciated. Um, even when it's, I know it's kind of a tight, um, a tight turnaround, but, um, usually that's kind of the, the, I would say the, the few things that you can kind of always rely on, especially for business insiders, we will always do some sort of lists. That's kind of what business insiders is known for. Um, not nearly as much as Buzzfeed, but close enough. Um, and we, um, we'll always do these big kind of year end review. That's something that we're working on right now as well. Um, it's starting to kind of look for, you know, what are folks predicting for 2021? Um, kind of what does the landscape look like? What can we expect? Um, and so there's always a big group of, of stories that come with that kind of project. But otherwise, unfortunately, we don't have anything really set in stone. Yeah, it's that it's that day to day um, timeliness factor. Like the editorial calendar is what is hot right now, right? Yep. Yep. What will bring in the audience today? Uh, speaking of of social media and Twitter, um, you know, a lot of the companies uh, who are early stage in healthcare, um, they're just they have they're breaking out. You may not have even heard heard of them yet. They pitch to you, and you immediately have to do a little research about them. And uh, I want to ask kind of what you're looking for when you do a quick Google search of a company, you're like, okay, are, are they somebody I want to talk about? Um, what are some of the things that you bump into some of the, I don't know, do's and don'ts of somebody's brand presentation to you when you're sort of seeing them for the first time? Yeah. So I think the first thing is having like a, a functional, well-designed website. That's kind of the first thing I look for. And that's how I look at I look through, you know, your about page. I look at the team. Um, so making sure, you know, at least the executive team or the leadership team or any other um, major stakeholders are included with a photo um, and name. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a bio or anything, but just so I have a face to the name. So if I'm getting an email from a founder, now I can put a face to the email um, is usually helpful. Um, and that also just kind of helps... Uh, make it feel like a more legitimate <laughs> setup. Um, sure. From there, I, I go to um, LinkedIn typically to see how many, um, and I look at the LinkedIn page of the company to see how many um, employees are there. And I know LinkedIn is, is never a perfect um, estimate, but it does give me an idea of the size, the stage. Um, I know it's, it's also a little bit harder when the if a company is operating in stealth, um, but it is something that I look for in terms of um, growth and size and, and maturity. Um, and then last is Twitter. Um, it's mostly just to make sure that you're there. Um, it's I'm not going through your timeline or anything and looking at necessarily yeah. what you're tweeting. Um, usually for that, I would say it's more the CEO or co-founders or whatever it might be um, to see if they are someone who is willing to you know, have a public facing opinion. Got it. Got it. Um, what are some pitfalls sort of red flags? You know, you sort of mentioned what you're looking for. Are there some things within those categories that really stick out to you as problematic things to avoid? Yeah, I would say the biggest one is having, and I know this is hard to kind of get a workaround, but not having a, um, a Twitter handle that, um, makes a ton of sense. So for example, like I was saying, I'm, I'm, covering Papa. And that's a very common uh, word just in the English language and in the, in many other languages. And so if you're looking on Twitter for handles that are Papa, uh, you get some very interesting results. Um, and so they had to kind of get creative with what they, what they listed it, but it also makes it very hard to find. Okay. Um, so if I'm tweeting the story at the end of the day, and I would like to tag the company in it, it becomes pretty difficult um, and adds um, a lot of friction to that process. So odds are I wouldn't, I would not, I would forego um, tagging them. And so then that kind of loses out on the, the promotional side as well. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, so that's sort of like the brand side, you know, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about 
what do you look for uh, in a founder um, if you were if you're in the market for like a, a market opinion leader? So uh, obviously, you know, if you're going to write about a, a company, you want their their brand to be uh, at a certain caliber to kind of keep digging and digging. But what are you looking for in an individual in a professional that you might want to reach out for a quote for? Say, yeah, this is an individual of uh, of substance. Yeah. So I think that the first is to for someone to have authority um, to be giving those opinions or that statement. So if, um, you know, you have a background that's not necessarily as a founder, but like maybe you went to medical school or something along those lines, that always helps um, in terms of being able to speak authoritatively to a certain subject um, beyond just your role as, as a founder and CEO. Um, from there, um, kind of, what I was saying before about being able to be available and making yourself available is, is always um, very much appreciated. I've worked with folks that are like, oh, well, you know, I'm on vacation the next two weeks and then I'm booked solid for the three weeks after that. Can we get together, you know, four months from now? Um, which doesn't, it's not like we have been talking about it. It doesn't quite fit the timeline. Yeah. Um, so making, making time to be available and, um, you know, reporters operate in a similar work schedule as founders in that we're always on and we're always around. And so we're usually, um, you know, willing to, to work around, you know, scheduling and stuff like that. Um, and I'm trying, I had some, some notes over here. Um, I think the other kind of big thing is, is having a point of view. Um, mm. I've, I've spoken with a lot of folks that feel that they can't, um, come out on a side of an issue or have kind of a, a strong opinion one way or the other, um, because they, you know, are, are nervous about sticking their neck out. Um, understandably so. Um, but generally, you know, it's, I will go back to someone who is, you know, willing to say something that is a defensible opinion, um, more often than not, because I know you'll actually add to my story versus, some boilerplate, like, oh, you know, we like just something where it's, it's more marketing or, or PR language. Um, mm. It's definitely better to have an opinion. And if you can back up that, that opinion, you know, even better for it. And then we can have a very robust discussion about why that is and how you came to that opinion. And it just kind of flows a lot better um, versus, um, you know, giving out a canned statement sometimes is, is a little bit less, um, interesting, especially for readers. I think that's a really good uh, point because there is the idea of telling your story as a company, um, which, you know, you have to be sort of on brand and safe. And then there's the world of publishing where you are trying to grab people's attention, uh, be exciting, engaging, and where those two things intersect, um, it, it can be a sort of a tricky, narrow Venn diagram. Um, if anyone on this call has like sort of struggled with that, uh, I'd love to. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but I think that that is definitely one of the big challenges that um, anyone trying to get their their story out there has, because um, it's hard to stick your neck out and and make a big statement and sort of subject yourself to potential criticism because you have this big opinion. Um, and yet, often that's what what people are looking for, right? For these stories. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that you have to be, you know, uh, Mark Benioff or Aaron, um, Aaron Levy, where you're making these big grand statements all the time. Um, but, you know, even if it's a personal anecdote or a personal experience or something that kind of ties you to whatever the topic is, um, people like to read about people. Um, so even kind of sharing an experience that you have and no one else does is another way of kind of making that that jump um, in a way that might feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Interesting. You know, uh, just to kind of back up a little bit, uh, you mentioned that you came from the PR side. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, if you could expound on any of the other lessons that that transition specifically gave you, because uh, you're able to look at what these companies are trying to accomplish through that lens and not just through the reporter's lens. Um, and also just the fact that, um, yeah, well, just media and communications have have have, cha have shifted and changed, and the way that we think about uh, PR has changed. So, what are some of the other lessons that you've learned along that that journey? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's an interesting transition to make. Usually, 
um, folks go the other way. They go from being a reporter to being in communications because it's a better paycheck and a more steady work-life balance. But um, generally speaking, I would say it has given me um, both a healthy skepticism, but also a healthy respect for kind of how um, startups operate internally. Um, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, it's not this, this very um, cynical skepticism that I think some reporters do tend to have. Um, it's, it's more of a like, okay, like I, I understand what you're trying to say and what you're trying to do and accomplish it, but, you know, let's work through how to prove it or how to talk about it in a way um, that is not going to um, upset your investors, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's definitive proof, that kind yeah. of thing. I think it, it allows me to have those pretty frank discussions um, in a way that hopefully um, doesn't come off as um, brash or, or anything like that um, kind of when, when working through that process. Uh, press release or published story on your blog gets it done? Um, hey, uh, neither. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, would, that's fair. Say, um, we, we do not publish blog posts um, at Business Insight. We do have a- Oh, a, no. I, sorry, I didn't mean that. I meant if, if I tell you we've got news, do you want to see a published press release? Or if I've got the news on my blog that you could read about, do you, do you, need, it to, do you need to see it on the wire? I see what you're saying. So- I would say press releases are helpful in that they give you all of the kind of what I was saying about the pitches earlier, that it gives you all of the information you need to know about the news kind of right in one place. Um, however, um, putting a, a release on the wires is costly um, and not necessarily the best way um, to get distribution. Because I would say I probably read the first two paragraphs of a press release because that's where the bulk of the information is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another tip for, for writing the pitches is you take what would have been your two press release, uh, top two paragraphs and turn that into an email and that'll save you a couple thousand dollars and also, uh, check all the boxes on the reporter side. Nice. Okay. That's, that's good practical, uh, knowledge there. Uh, Beth Sanders from life bio has got a question. Hi, Megan. Thanks for being here with us today. Um, I am helping people who are lonely so uh, we have something called My Hello, where we're actually pairing older people with other older people to reduce loneliness. I just wanted to get your sense on the older market, like age tech um, today. Is it, do you find that to be kind of a hot topic or, or not in your world right now? It, I would say it, um, it kind of, it's a very blurry line. Um, it depends kind of on, like I was, I had mentioned Papa obviously a, a few times um, that has done really well um, with our readers and it seems to, um, to track pretty well with their interests. Um, folks are subscribing and reading those articles. Um, however, we've done um, some stories about mostly in the device realm um, where you're kind of working with a physical, um, you know, tech savvy kind of device. Um, for, for older folks and that those don't tend to do as well. Um, it's very media, I like to say is more of an art than a science, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but um, I'd love to, to take a look um, and just kind of see what you're working on. Um, it's definitely, it's an area generally that um, we've been expanding our coverage recently. Um, just as the offerings continue to grow um, and investors continue to be interested in. If uh, Ma Megan, if there isn't a big uh, sort of timeliness story or like a tech trend, what about a, a data story? Uh, if, if there's this many seniors suffering from from this issue, and and are you looking for numbers stories? Um, it depends on where the numbers come from. Um, so we will never use proprietary studies. Um, it's just um, not something that um, our editorial standards will let us do. Um, so if you um, if you partner with a SurveyMonkey or a CB Insights or another kind of respected third-party um, analytics group, that helps. Um, but if it's just, um, you know, we polled our members and this is what we found, um, that data is something then that I have to go verify with someone else um, to make sure that it tracks. Um, and so by partnering with, with another group, usually you kind of take that step out of it. So it does help. 
um, kind of make that more uh, appealing. Awesome. Awesome. Um, we got a question from, um, is that Kim from Play It Health? So um, first of all, I've loved the conversation so far. It's been, it's been very exciting. Um, my question is really kind of boring, but kind of not. Um, so it's around COVID. So obviously a lot of people I think are burned out, you know, with COVID, but from uh, the stand, standpoint of somebody or a groups that are really trying to get in and move the needle, it's almost like a lot of those handcuffs have just been taken off. And so the question is, um, how are, are you guys reinvigorated and ready to sort of go back out there and go again? Or, you know, where is it sort of in your algorithm? Yeah, so I think the, the vaccine news from yesterday really kind of everyone woke up again, it felt like. Um, and so I think even from a reader standpoint, we probably did um, five or six articles just about the vaccine yesterday um, across multiple teams. Um, and they all were very highly read, very folks were interested, folks were subscribing. Um, our newsletter this morning was all COVID vaccine <laughs> news. Um, and it was, it also kind of, it performed very well. Um, so we'll see, I think with, with COVID, it's, it's always hard to predict um, right. kind of how things will land. Um, I think the difference is, and we, my team recently talked about this is that um, we're kind of past the point of incremental news as far as COVID is concerned. Um, so it takes kind of the big leaps to really make um, an impact. So a vaccine, a treatment, um, new studies, kind of materially new information is what's helping. Um, some of the more incremental news items are not um, landing as well. Cause like you said, I think folks are, are pretty burnt out. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Asif Khan from Puku AI, you got a question that kind of ties together Beth's and Kim's. Yeah, I mean, Beth talked about loneliness for seniors and, uh, you know, I think the whole COVID situation, 40%, I think, I don't know what the recent numbers are, but 40% of deaths are kind of uh, in senior in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad to see that uh, those seniors are kind of unable to see their loved ones and kind of passing away. It's really a bad situation. Um, what we, so just wanted to kind of, I think that is, is that something that is, uh, you know, top of obviously mine because the majority of the deaths are happening there. It's like a very hot area. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, how, how that issue of lack of communication, whether it's nurses updating the family members at least, or, family members getting updates from the seniors in there, you know, any thoughts on that or any feedback you can give? Yeah, so I think that was a very big topic um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. I think um, there was a lot of news coming out of Seattle and New York City that were both pretty terrifying. Um, and so we really were looking at, you know, what is it about nursing homes that, um, is conducive to the spread of coronavirus. Um, you know, what does this mean um, for long-term viability for some of these models? We were kind of looking at that side of things for a while. Um, that I would say has has taken a step back in recent months. Um, is not something that we've devoted a lot of time to. Um, however, I think going into the holidays and going into kind of the winter it will be something that kind of picks back up in terms of a trend. Um, I hope not, uh, to be totally honest. Um, it's not something that we have to worry about and cover, but um, it, it's likely that it'll become kind of more pertinent um, going into, into the holidays in, in the next few months. Thanks. Thanks, Asif. Um, shifting gears slightly, um, a lot of uh, health transformers, entrepreneurs in our portfolio are sort of thinking about so like major major media pushes for the first time or, or early in that process. And I wonder, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, both from your PR background and a business insider, like where you think someone's money is best spent when they're thinking about developing content, whether it's content marketing, a PR agency, the goal is the same, get my story out there. Where do you feel like the money is best spent? Yeah, that's a good question. And I have spent time in agencies and in-house and working with folks. So I have kind of the, the full gamut on this one. But um, generally speaking, I think it's similar to pitching a reporter in and of itself and do your research um, and finding out what 
specific agencies are known for. Um, if anything, um, what has actually happened to me a few times is I will have founders reach out to me as a reporter saying, hey, I'm thinking about hiring XYZ agency as a reporter. Is this someone you'd like to work with? Hmm. Um, or is this someone you've noticed? Like, do you know who they are? That kind of thing. So they kind of do the the back channels on that. Um, and you respond kindly to that? <laughs> usually. I would say it depends on the week. <laughs> depends on what my to-do list looks like. But I do think that's kind of where my PR sympathies come in, where I, I kind of, I know how much of a black box it feels like um, at times. Um, so it, it's something where if I have the bandwidth to help out, I will at least give a, a thumbs up or thumbs down or like a, I have no idea response. Like there will always be something um, that I will, I will try to respond to. Um, so I, I do think it's dependent on what you're looking for, um, for a big launch. Um, if it's, especially if it's your first time, um, usually an agency that's been through it a million times will, um, they will charge you a little more, but they will make sure that you are in front of someone. Um, I also, a lot of my, um, early stage coverage comes directly from, uh, VCs. So they'll, the, um, folks at the VC firm will reach out and be like, Hey, I have this company that is launching next week. Um, do you want to, do you want to talk to them? Um, and that's and something are, where, Oh, go ahead. And you're, uh, are you a little more likely to receive that story from them? Yes. Cause you've, you've got some history maybe. That's exactly what I was going to say is I'm more likely to at, even at the very least take an introduction. Um, because it's, you know, I, I have built a relationship with, um, a lot of my PR or my VC contacts. And so, uh, they know what to send me and what I would be interested in. So usually that means that it's, it's something pretty good. So rely on them. Um, if you're able to there, uh, interesting. Very good is, is, is that pretty universal or should a, a founder think about like, uh, talking to their investor about making sure that's happening? I would make sure to talk to the, to the firm to make sure that that's happening. Cause I know different firms are put different um, kind of weight on that type of coverage. Um, okay. So some firms don't have necessarily a, a dedicated PR partner, but they might have a marketing partner, um, that kind of thing. So um, it's definitely worth asking if it's something that you'd be interested in. Um, if you're looking for less media coverage and more just, you know, uh, kind of a full blitz takeover, uh, go with the, the agency typically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you described, you know, making sure that you're working with an agency or a PR company that uh, has experience in what you want to do. What about hiring a, a content writer? What about just getting your story out there in more um, of an everyday kind of way? So content writers are great um, and they're awesome assets to have on staff. I've noticed that they tend to get hired at earlier stages in startups than say a, a front facing PR person would. Um, and usually if you hire someone in house on the PR side, they, they understand that they're expected to kind of wear every hat under the sun um, in terms of content writing, social media management, pitching, media relations, kind of the whole nine yards. Um, and that's obviously my former PR pro uh, bias is showing a little bit, but um, I would, if anything, go for a PR person, bringing in even a PR contractor um, full-time before a content writer, because the PR person will be better able to kind of develop your brand voice um, into something that you can use long-term, even if you maybe don't um, continue the relationship uh, longer term. It's something that you will always have and always be able to rely on. Got it. So what I hear you saying is find someone who's got kind of that content strategy piece mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of the melding in with marketing versus solely um, uh, writing, Yeah, which is coming from someone who studied journalism. So you're, are you going yeah. against your, <laughs> your tribe? Uh, nah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like, I think it is all that content is great and helpful, but as a reporter, it's not something I have relied on from companies very often. So the, the return on that, unless it's something that um, your investors require or you're, you know, hoping to start putting out white papers um, in terms of making moves in the industry, that's kind of a, an entirely different goal with an entirely different answer. Um, Megan, are there easy ways for people to, 
you know, look up a great pitch and kind of like review, okay, here's some things that have worked in the past, um, what to do, what to, what not to do. Is, is there a guide? Oh man. Um, that's where the PR agency comes in. <laughs> they are, uh, just have massive, massive databases of everything they've pitched and what has worked and what hasn't. And, um, just so many Excel spreadsheets, I could not even tell you. Um, but generally speaking, um, it's not something that's publicly available typically. Um, that's why we're having this call, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, there are certain databases that will give you access to reporter information. It's not necessarily a pitch, but it will say, um, you know, this reporter specifically likes to write about healthcare or this reporter is covering, um, biotech or whatever it might be. Um, I know one of them is Cision. Um, they were bought by one of the other ones recently. Um, but stuff like that is something that like an agency will have access to, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of help build those, those repositories. So the agency, they, agencies, they have that sort of secret knowledge, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not the same world as it was a decade or two ago when they had sort of exclusive gatekeeping to a, a reporter, right? Yep. Yeah. If anything, I value when a CEO reaches out or a founder reaches out much mm. more than um, if a representative or, you know, communications manager is reaching out. Um, because I know if, um, even if it may not be a right fit at that time, um, it's something like now I have your email address and I can, if I do have a story two weeks from now, that is a much better fit. I can, I have a direct line versus going through um, four different people um, to talk to somebody. And that kind of gets back to that timeliness. It's easier to kind of operate with the, with the flywheel a little bit um, instead of getting uh, caught at different roadblocks. That's right. And it also brings up that sort of newsworthy element of celebrity, even though it's not celebrity, it's like, at least you're talking to the person whose name means something. Exactly. In this story. Um, Asif Khan, uh, you say that you've, you've had experiences both on the PR and the content writing side. If you could sum up kind of your, your wisdom from that experience uh, uh, briefly, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, and I think obviously Megan is the expert here, but just from a founder perspective, I actually would agree with her. But, uh, you know, there's a trade-off, right? The cost. You know, mm-hmm. so if you hire somebody with PR, which I did at Care Merge, that was fantastic but I spent about $60,000 a year, right? So, but we got good coverage and all that. And it was money, I think, good spent. Uh, This time around, I think I'm more conserving my cash flows and don't necessarily want to dilute myself uh, with with Huku.ai as as I did with CareMart. You know, you're learning your lessons, but uh, uh, more working on just blogs and content, but that's like, 500 bucks a month, right? So so for, for like a blog or content a week or two or something like that. So I I, I agree with Meg. I mean, there's no, um, uh, you know, there's no um, alternative, I guess, to, to better brand awareness than, than using PR, um, uh, but it's expensive. Unless Megan, actually this, maybe you can share some, like what are the costs these days to kind of get some, I mean, instead of getting a full-fledged agency, are there like um, uh, freelancers we can leverage and where to find them to kind of like say, hey, you know, that can work on performance-based PR? Because, <laughs> you know, the, the challenge with the PR agency, and I think that's why you're kind of dropping off all these like uh, potential of, uh, you know, uh, uh, things to avoid is, uh, you know, you, you hire an agency it may not work, it may work, but you're already down a few thousand bucks, right? Already before you find that out. But if you can find a freelancer who would say, you would say, hey, you know, if you get me one article, I give you a thousand bucks. Or if you give me two articles in a place, I give you, you know, 3,000. I don't know, some kind of performance-based uh, PR work. Uh, have you seen that? Or how, how do we go about being um, more creative with that? Yeah, question. it's not... It's not something I've seen when I was on the PR side. It might have been something that has become more popular um, in the the last few years. Um, I will say that I think there is the the tricky part about PR is it's very hard to uh, quantify value um, because in a in a very um, monetary way um, because 
what I've what I've seen some PR folks do is you know um, make it comparable to ad an ad buy. So if you're doing a you get a full page story in the New York Times, how does that you know that's worth uh, monetarily what one full page ad would be worth? But the way that a reader sees it is much different. Um, so then you kind of have a a qualitative aspect that is quite hard um, to to place a, a specific value on. So. I think that's why performance-based has um, kind of lagged behind other similarly creative um, freelance work. It's just because, you know, it's great if uh, it's it's a thousand dollars for the first article, but what if the first article is, you know, this, this very small niche blog um, with 50 readers versus, um, you know, landing something in the New York Times. Uh, those are just very two different outcomes. And so I think, um, it's something everyone struggles with it. Um, I think, uh, PR folks struggle with it, uh, content folks struggle with it and founders struggle with it. It's just something that, um, unfortunately is, is more of an art than a science. And so it, it makes it a little bit harder to, uh, to attach, uh, performance-based metrics to it. Yeah. I mean, you bring up an interesting overarching point of this idea of quality versus quantity. You could spend your entire year trying to get that one New York Times piece, and that could be your breakout. And you could spend uh, every day pushing out content to a niche audience and maybe not break out. So it's an interesting uh, thing just for founders to think about. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it all comes down to strategy, because if you are gunning for a New York Times article, you know, if it takes a year, then you start planning for it a year out. Mm. Um, and then you start kind of laying, you kind of lay the breadcrumbs along the way. So say, you know, your your moonshot is a New York Times article. Um, but, you know, maybe the the first few steps is, you know, a TechCrunch feature. Then maybe it's um, getting featured on stat. And then maybe it's, you know, working your kind of your way up the food chain so that when the New York Times reporter gets your email, they're like, oh yeah, I've heard of this company before. Um, I'll take a look, that kind of thing. Yeah, very interesting. Um, um, you know, sort of fine, I sort of gave you rapid fire uh, questioning, Megan, but like kind of summing it all up, kind of thinking about the industry as a whole, you've got a group of uh, a couple dozen uh, health tech founders here, kind of overarching advice for them as they think about telling their story in the market, getting out there in order to achieve their, their health moonshot. Yeah. I think kind of the, the biggest takeaway I would hope um, to come from something like this is um, there is value in, in the media and telling your story um, through a, what is um, an unbiased third party to, to tell your story. Um, I think sometimes on blog posts and studies and that kind of thing um, can, can go either way. Um, but getting a story in, you know, Business Insider or the Times or the Journal um, kind of pays dividends down the road. Um, and it's something that is worth investing in, um, whether that's your time, um, which is already in very limited supply, um, or dollars um, and that kind of thing. Um, I do think longer term, it, it's something that... Um, is worth the squeeze uh, down the road. Yeah, good insight. All right, anybody want to share, kind of reflect back what you heard? Um, is that Kim? With your message, you were basically sort of subtly very encouraging um, entrepreneurs to have a voice, sort of regardless of the consequences. And I happen to be pretty bound up with sort of everything that's been going on sort of recently, but I don't think there could be anything more important. So. Um, whether that's your personal mission or whether it's business insiders, um, you know, just bravo and thank you. My big takeaway is read the news uh, and know how you're pitching today, not last week, not even four days ago. But if you can um, tie your story to something happening today, um, that just it really speaks volumes or something that's going to happen tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah, better. if you... If you know something's coming down the road um, and you have an opinion or want to make sure it uh, it gets seen, um, a polite heads up is usually uh, very much appreciated. 
Yeah, yeah. And sort of tying into that, that kind of puts you in a collaborative relationship with the founder versus this combative, like, please take my story. Mm -hmm. You're like, I I can help you. You know, there's actually something here that that it's a win-win situation. Uh, Jenny Gallagher from Helpful, you have an aha moment. Yeah, or takeaway, not sure and aha, but it tied to the other comment, which is, you know, as as uh, founders of um, of these startups uh, with big moonshots, um, I think t- to in one way or another, we're all sort of have this contrarian view of how we're looking. Like we see the world, and then we see a solution that maybe doesn't look anything like the problem. So, what you were saying about tell our story or have a point of view, what really struck me is like, yeah, you know, like my whole company and solution is looks very different than what's out there. And um, so I, I appreciate that because it kind of gave me another boost of saying, yeah, go out and, you know, make that point. So thank you. Great. Well, I think that is a great note to close on. Um, this has been a great session, very practical and also inspiring. Uh, Megan, thank you for taking this, this full hour to kind of pull back the curtain on your work. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's been very helpful. So um, thank you so much. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to StartupHealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.